Would you take your Bibles with me and join me over in Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. Uh, this morning we conclude the series on the miraculous close encounters with Jesus. And this morning in our passage, we're going to see a faith that amazes Jesus. A faith that amazes our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. A faith that amazes Jesus. Someone has written, it's a faith that sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. For way of contrast to this centurion in Capernaum, I want to remind us of the story from the Old Testament of a man who was healed by the name of Naaman. His story is told in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a great commander of Syria. He had led many encounters into Israel. He had raided Israel. He had taken away uh, of their goods. He had taken people to be slaves from Israel. But Naaman was a leper. And one of the slaves that he had captured was serving in his own house. It was a young girl. And she said to Naaman's wife one day, Oh, that my master could go to Israel, could go to Samaria, because there lives a prophet who could heal him. 
Evidently, Naaman treated this slave girl very well for her to have a desire to see her master healed. So Naaman, suffering with leprosy, was completely desperate. As many people uh, that suffer from diseases or sickness can become, and, and he's willing to do almost anything in order to get healed. So he goes to the king of Syria, and he asks for a letter to be written to the king of Israel. And so the king writes a letter And Naaman gathers up his soldiers and he puts together the great gifts to give to the person who's going to to heal him. And he goes to the king of Israel and he delivers the letter from the king of Syria that says, I command you to have my servant healed. Now imagine if you're the king of Israel. Your response might be exactly what he is. What an unreasonable request. Who am I that you're demanding that I heal your servant? And the king of Israel uh, tears his clothes, which is a sign of mourning. And he does so because he thinks this is a trap, a trick to start another war with Israel. Well, word of this gets to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha sends his servant to the king, and he says, send Naaman to me. Because it's important for Syria to know that there is a God in Israel. And so Naaman travels to Elisha. Now imagine you're Naaman. You're expecting, you know, this prophet to come out And perhaps you're expecting this great ceremony and maybe the prophet is going to come out and declare over you, be ye healed, and suddenly all the leprosy is going to go away. Or maybe he's going to to do some great show that's going to take place and you're all set up. You're, You're thinking this and you're ready for this to occur. But Elisha doesn't even come out and see Elisha instead sends his servant to Naaman. And he tells Naaman, to be healed, you need to go down to the Jordan River and you need to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you will be healed. Naaman is furious. Dip myself in that dirty Jordan River. We have rivers in Syria, in Damascus, that are much cleaner than the Jordan River. And if I need to dip myself in the river, why wouldn't it be in a clean river, not in the Jordan? Fortunately, among Naaman's servants, There is one who talks reason to him. And he says, Master, what do you got to lose? If he had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? What do you have to lose? Go dip yourself in the Jordan River. 
And if you know the story, you know that that is exactly what Naaman does. He obeys what the prophet told him to do, and he's cleansed of his leprosy. Now, let's contrast what's happened with Naaman with this centurion that we're reading about here in Luke chapter 7. Because this centurion shows to us what faith is all about. Hebrews 11.1 tells us, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. In verse 6, it tells us, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Please, don't miss that phrase there. Without faith, it's what? Say that again. It's what? It's impossible to please God. Not that it's hard. Not that there's another way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The centurion has that type of faith. This centurion represents only one of two people in the Bible that are commended for their great faith, or one of two people in the Gospels, not the Bible, because we have the whole of Hebrews 11. But in the Gospels, there are only two people who are commended for great faith. One is a woman who is also a Gentile, and this centurion, both Gentiles, recognizes on to the truth and we are getting to the point that this is ridiculous in our culture. That truths that are so plain and so simple that even children can recognize them. That we're saying we can't say that anymore. We have a man and we have a woman who are commended for their incredible faith. Both are Gentiles. And this is making it clear to us that the faith and that salvation is available to all people of all nationalities, regardless of their sex, male or female, there is salvation available in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see in the passage that this centurion of great faith is someone who's working what we would call a secular job. You don't have to be on the staff of a church or on the staff of a Christian organization in order to please God. Most of us will not be in those positions. We can please God with the jobs that he has given to us. Naaman is, not Naaman, but this centurion is serving in the Roman army, and he pleases God with his faith. What is also important to us, that this centurion is living in Capernaum. 
Jesus will later castigate Capernaum because of its lack of faith in Luke chapter 10, verse 15. So here we have a man with faith that amazes Jesus living in a city that doesn't have faith. See, it doesn't matter where you live, where you are placed, or where you work. You can be a person of faith, honoring and serving God. And remember in the passage, and as we've entitled the message, this centurion's faith amazes Jesus. There's only one other time in which Jesus is said to be amazed, and that is in Mark chapter 6, and that's when he's amazed at the unbelief in the city of Capernaum. Now, I want to think about this, because this is, I've, I've really thought about this week. What does it take to amaze Jesus? Here's the God who knows all things. Jesus knew all things. How do you amaze Jesus? We're getting a glimpse into his humanity here for him to be amazed at the faith. Now, this centurion, we know from studying Rome and the role of centurion that they had to be literate, they had to be at least 30 years of age, and they had, all, they had to have served in the military several years before they could be put into this role of centurion. Being a centurion means that they were over 100 men. Now, that wasn't a hard, fast rule. It was a varying number. It would mean, you know, they were normally, it was groups of 100, but in some cases, it could be a little smaller than 100. In other cases, it could be up to almost 1,000 men. And these men had to prove themselves in battle. And think of battle in those days. It would be hand-to-hand combat that was going on. So these centurions are proven warriors. They also had to be leaders. And what's interesting is every centurion that's mentioned in the scriptures is mentioned in a very good light. Every single one of them. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, when it talks about centurions, it mentions them in a good light. These centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. So as we look at this true faith that the centurion has, I want us to see from the passage, first of all, that true faith causes us to be compassionate. True faith will cause us to be compassionate. Look at verse 3. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. The centurion has a servant that he cares deeply about. That would be uncommon in the Roman world. Servants, slaves, were viewed as property or even tools 
that they would use. In Roman law, a slave was actually described as a living tool. He had no rights. A master could treat him any way he wanted to. He could even kill him. A Roman commander on estate management recommends the farmer to examine his implements every year and to throw out those which are old and broken and to do the same with his slaves. Normally, a slave in the household of a Roman, when he was of no more use to his master, would be thrown out of his master's home. But this centurion has what? has compassion toward his slave, compassion toward his servant. A person who claims to know Jesus, whose life is characterized by criticizing, condemning, and hating others, needs to take a long look into the mirror to see if he's truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus talks about the characteristic that should shine forth from his followers is that of love. In 1 John chapter 4, in verses 20 and 21, we read this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, who has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this isn't a love just in thought, this is a love in deeds. James, in chapter 2, verse 18, writes and tells us, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And as we look at this centurion that we're examining this morning, he shows that he is compassionate by what he does. He cares for his slave. He cares for his servant. And he desires for his servant to be healed. Next, true faith causes us to be humble. Look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come underneath my roof. So the request comes to Jesus. The centurion has sent elders from the town to Jesus. And up in verse number four, we see at that they plead with Jesus earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So the Jewish leaders come to Jesus, 
And they say to Jesus, Jesus, will you do this for this centurion? He is worthy for you to do this. He has shown he is worthy by his good deeds. He's built a synagogue for us. And it's implied here that the centurion has become a Jewish proselyte, which would mean he had become a follower of Judaism. He had put his faith in the God of Israel. And so they are coming on his behalf. Uh, Think about this with me for a moment. Where else do you find Jews going and pleading for God to do something for the Gentiles? For the most part, the Jews despised Gentiles, wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles, but now they're coming and asking Jesus. They say, he is worthy. Look at what he has done. But that's not the centurion's attitude, is it? What does he say? He says, Jesus, don't come to my house. I am not worthy of you to come to my house. Now, some have asked the question, would Jesus have really gone in to this Gentile's house? Because in those days, it was completely against Jewish custom. So would he have violated that custom? Now, remember, it's not a part of God's law. It was a part of the Jewish custom. Well, has Jesus ever before violated the customs of the Jews of his day? Indeed, he has. So I have no question in my mind that Jesus would not have gone into his home. But this centurion comes and says, by way of messenger to Jesus, don't come. Don't come. I'm not worthy. See, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will not cause us to build ourselves up. It will cause us to humble ourselves. Anyone who has been forgiven of their sins, anyone who recognizes who God is and who we really are, is going to have nothing to boast of. We are saved not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. We are saved not because we are great or to be commended in any way. We are saved because we have a great God who showed great love for us to be saved. We ought not to think higher of ourselves than we should. And we see in this centurion and in his faith a humility that all followers of Jesus should demonstrate. The next thing that I want us to see is that true faith unlocks God's power. True faith unlocks God's power. 
when the messengers come to Jesus, they bring the centurion's message that says, you don't need to come to my house to heal my servant. Notice he still wants his, his servant healed, right? He's not given up on that. But you don't even need to come to my house because I'm a Roman commander. I'm a man who's under authority, and I'm a man who's in authority. And when I tell a soldier to do something, what do they do? They do it. How many of you served in the armed forces? Let's see your hands. What do you do when the commander tells you to do something? <laughs> do you stop and debate it with him? Do you say to him, hey, let's think about this a little bit? No. When the commander gives you a command, you carry out the command. I tell soldiers, go here, go there, and they do exactly what I tell them to do. So Jesus you don't even need to come to my house. Just speak the word. Just give the command. And my servant will be healed. Jesus is amazed at this faith. So much so that he says in verse 9 at the end of it, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when the messengers got back to the centurion's home, they found that his servant had been healed. Faith in God unlocks the power of God. So how do we wrap this up this morning? First of all, do you have faith? If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you put your faith and trust in him? Have you recognized that you are a sinner that is unworthy of the grace and mercy of God and called on God for his grace and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's the only one that can save you. It is through the power of Jesus that we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is by the power of Jesus that we are made the sons and daughters of God. And are you one of his sons and daughters this morning? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Secondly, to those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. Are we continuing to walk by faith? See, we're not only saved by faith. It is to be the way that we live our lives. And faith simply means trusting God. Are you trusting God to meet your needs? Are you trusting God to solve your problems? Are you trusting God for you fill in the blank? And as we meet together as a congregation, there are many needs present in this congregation, but we have a God who is big enough to meet each and every need that we have. 
We do not worship a small God. We worship the God of the impossible. We worship the God who is not limited in his power. And we need to be reminded of the kind of faith that this centurion had and have that kind of faith ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We love you. We worship you this morning. And we thank you that there's nothing that you can't do. And Father, we would pray this morning that each person present here would put their faith and trust in you for salvation and that you would help each of us that we might walk day by day by faith so that we can honor and serve you. For this we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.